Okay, good evening everyone. We are in the Rambam Morinavuchim. We're soon going to start chapter 43. We just have to finish some unfinished business in chapter 42. Chapter 42 discussed the definition of Chai and Mace. And we gave three definitions, but the challenge with that was that none of them referred to Hashem at all. And what was the issue with Hashem? And more than that, there are instances where it does mention that Hashem is Chai. So why didn't the Rambam discuss what that means? So there are three potential answers to this. The, the standard answer is that, you know, it's clear that Hashem is alive and, and, and there's nothing to discuss. There's, you know, it's, what do you want to say, God's dead? And we don't have to worry right. about the fact that we think of Hashem as being alive. You know. Like there's no negativity. Right. It's, it doesn't mean he's breathing, so to speak. So some say it's not even a question to begin with. Okay, that's one answer. Looking at the back end of your sheet over here, the Kuzari, and it's a good thing to go through anyway, uh, he will address this issue. He says, the general rule is that all of God's attributes, except for the explicit name, Yudevave, are divided into three categories. They describe either action, relation, or negation. Names which describe negation, such as living, that's the one we want, one or first and last are only used to distance the opposite of these attributes from God. Not to ascribe these terms as we understand them to God. This because we understand living only in terms of sensory moving creatures and God is above that. We therefore say that God is alive so as to remove any description of death from him as who said that? Nietzsche said God is dead. It's because one's initial reaction when hearing that something is not alive is that it's dead. Even though upon deeper inspection, one will find this to be incorrect. You don't have to not be alive and be dead. For example, just because time is not alive does not by inference mean that it is dead. Time simply has no connection to life or death. Or for example, just because one might say that a rock is not wise does not by inference mean that the rock is stupid. And just as a rock is too lowly to be attributed with wisdom or stupidity, so is the blessed divinity too exalted to be attributed with life or death. Similarly, one cannot attribute light or darkness to the divinity. However, someone would ask us if the divinity is light or dark, we would answer figuratively by saying that it's light out of fear that one's initial thought when hearing that God is not light is that it's dark. To answer the question correctly, though, would say that only physical objects can be attributed with light or darkness, and since divinity is non-physical, we use the term light only metaphorically or to distance any negative attribute from God. In the same vein, only physical beings can be attributed with life and death, and the divinity is exalted above all these things. Therefore, when someone says that God is alive, he's not referring to our kind of life. We actually mean to say, since we cannot fathom any kind of life other than our own, that really do not understand what God is. But this is not the reason why Scripture attributes God with life. Rather, Scripture calls him the living God in contrast to idols, which are dead gods, incapable of doing anything. So that is the Kuzari's, or Yudha Levi's understanding. But yet, the Rambam does not see... 
This comes after the Rambam. Yes, okay, that's fine. Okay, so the uh, the answer that I like the most is from this Rav Talidano. And he says like this. He mentions that, again, the main goal of Moranavuchim is not to deal with the fact that God is not corporeal. That's not why he set out to write the Sefer. The goal of the Sefer is not about Hashem only, but the concept of how to connect with Hashem. And the goal is to discuss what Navua really is, and mainly how to describe how a person can break through the limitations of one's seichel to go beyond that to understand a truer reality. Okay? And from, uh, from his essence, so to speak, to try to approximate Hashem's essence. Okay? And therefore, we got to deal with certain issues that have to be spoken about. If we're going to be talking about how man can come into contact with God in some way, okay, we're going to have to deal with some terms about God, but to make it clear he's not corporeal. But that's not the goal, okay? But rather the point is, how does God, we have to look at it in terms of God, how does he appear to man? And to man, how he's able to make an attempt to get beyond his physically, naturally imposed limitations and how to go beyond that limitation. That's the real goal. What really means, he's trying to describe Dvekus, in, in, in an intellectual Dvekus. That's the purpose of the Sefer. Why would he write a Sefer just for some interesting facts? Right? He wants to explain there really is an idea of Nebuah. What does it mean? And even though we can't be a Navi, but we can always come to deeper understandings of a Kaddish Baruch. That's the real goal of the Sefer. And therefore, as he said, the, that all these chapters are all connected. It's going back. Chapter 37 talked about punning. Punning means being in the presence, while Achor means the concealment of the presence. And then we talked about Hashem's heart, Hashem's spirit, Hashem's nefesh, and we said that that describes divine flows and the rutzon of Hashem, the innate rutzon that Hashem was, the direction that Hashem has, and the fulfillment of that, which is what? That God brings his energy to man, so to speak. Okay, we're talking about that shefa that comes and that it's meant to be maintained. So while we're discussing that, so therefore Chai and Mace are expressing, have we achieved that shefa? Has that shefa come to us and therefore we, and we have received the shefa? And that means we're going beyond our natural physical limitations. So then we're alive and that's the whole point. It's for us. The whole learning of Mordechai is for us. Not to just know about God, but to not corrupt this because we're playing a dangerous game. How does finite man approach infinite God? So therefore he has to deal with the misconceptions. Oh, well, God has to have some corporeality or how can man connect to God? So therefore he has to get... That's a side issue, an important side issue that God is not corporeal. And to realize that even though man is corporeal and God is not, 
it's still possible for the human being to live, and how do we say the living means? To have some divine intellect from the Torah and all these other things, to be able to understand things that a natural human being is not capable of understanding. And that's going to be the bulk of the Sefer going on later on in the book. So therefore, you don't have to explain everything about Hashem. It's not important to know if Hashem is Chaim or not. We can rely on the other two answers of why we don't, he doesn't discuss Chaim. But why he does discuss Chaim is because it's important to understand what man is supposed to be. Because that really is the ultimate goal of this Sefer. Okay. So that, I think, is a good answer for chapter 42. Now we move on to chapter 43, and now Romeo can, as soon as we start the parrot, again, our new minute is to give all the definitions before we start. We're going to discuss the word kinaf, which literally means a wing of a bird. Hashem took us al kanfei nisharim, on the wings of eagles. So we're going to see four meanings for kinaf, and they all have a common denominator, which I think will be very obvious. The first one is simple, the wing of a living creature. Good. Then another thing is the corner of a garment. Okay. Senses, exactly. Then another definition is a remote location, which will explain how that fits. Far corners of the earth. Yes, yes, exactly. And then that which is concealed. And that's what's going to be Nogea when we're going to talk about angels. That's a, a concept we need. And um, and, that's, and that really is, you see how they all fit? Because what does a wing do? Really, what does the wing do? It conceals the majority of the body of the bird. You look at a bird, and the wings, really you only see the two wings. All the inside is covered up by that, so to speak. All right? Um, a corner of a garment, that's kind of, like it's so far away, it's kind of concealed. Even in halacha, when we talk about a, of a mourning, when he rips, he has to rip in a place that's visible. But if, but if it's uh, other types of ripping, right, way lower down, because it's not so noticeable. That's why it's not a good ripping for an oven. So it's, it's sort of, it's not totally concealed, but it's like out of my view. If someone is in a far-flung location, it's hard to see that person. He's not on the main road, so to speak. Only see out of the corner of your eye. Yes, and, and that is which also will mean something to be concealed. Okay? So the wing is very much a concealing thing. It also enables flight, which we'll see the Ramon touches a little bit on at the end. So those are the main definitions. The main thing he's going to tell us is, what about that vision of the, before we say Kadosh, 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 the vision in Yeshaya where he sees the angels with wings. And we said uh, two wings um, on the, yes, six wings. Six wings. Six, six, I said six wings. Six, yeah, six. Two of them covering its face. Mm -hmm. Two of them covering Four its feet. feet. And two of them covering for flying. Yeah. So what does that mean? Do angels really have wings? And we're gonna, is there corporeality with Malachim? Right. Now, Hashem, interesting, uh, doesn't have wings per se, but Hashem did take us out on the wings of eagles. Now that wouldn't be a problem because it would seem that Hashem had some eagles that took yeah, them out. A charter flight, he had a charter flight. You know, flight. but it's not that Hashem has wings. 
but it's something that is very close to Hashem because the malachim are close to Hashem. So we have to be careful. Do angels actually have wings? And the answer is no. Okay? The Kruvim also are very prominent. The Kruvim. Yeah, but those are real wings. That's fine. Those are real wings. That yeah, is, that's a physical thing. But they're not real creatures. No, but it's a model. It's a model of a figure that has wings. But that's not a Shem. Everyone agrees there are real wings there. So why? What's the problem with real wings there? But to tell us a Malach has real wings, well, are Malachim physical or not? So we will see. So, But that's going to be the main discussion over there. And we'll see again... The question's going to be, well, what does that have to do with Hashem? Right? right? What is it? So it will, hopefully, I don't know if we're going to get there today, but uh, we'll get there. Okay, so now we're on Perak Mem Gimel. Now we can start looking in the text. Kanaf is Shemeshutaf. It's a homonym. Farov Shitufo, and the most common one, and most of the homonym is Alter Hashalah with metaphoric intention. Well, so the real wing is the actual thing. Everything else is a metaphor, right. as we will see. But they're also homonyms. So, the first understanding is The first one is a wing of a living creature that flies. Such as we have in the first source. It says, we'll talk about idol worship. And called Sipor Kanaf Asher Ta'uf Pashamayim. To have some kind of a of, of an image of a bird that flies in the heavens. Okay? so we, But the clear meaning is a bird has wings to help it fly. That's the first explanation. That's obvious. Second one, it's a metaphor to the corners of a garment and the uh, the edges, so to speak. As we have on the four corners of your garment you put tzitzis so again it's more of a concealed part it's not a part that's well uh, uh, that's an obvious one so to speak it's more at the bottom it's not so noticeable a metaphor as well the ends of civilization is in the land and its edges that are far away from our places relatively speaking in other words depending where people are what is called the edges of the earth now if you're at the edge of the earth then you're not in the edge of the earth it's a relative term so like if you're in the big city so Yehovitzville is the edge of the earth but if you live in Yehovitzville you don't think you're the edge of the earth you think you're in the main place okay so an example of that is lachos bekanfos ha'aretz, okay, uh, to to grasp on to those that are on the edges of the earth. Okay, those are the first three, and that is not that relevant for our use. The fourth one is a very relevant one, and this is something very interesting. The Rambam so far does not mention many people by name in his sefer. Now, there was a great, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, person who knew um, word translations, a, a, a good vocabularist. His name was Ibn Janach. Some say it's Rabbi Yonah Ibn Janach, Morenus Ibn Janach. He wrote a sefer called Sefer Shirashim, which are roots of words. So the Rambam quotes, Omar Ibn Janach, 
And the question is, why is he quoting him? We'll see in one second why. So what's the fourth meaning? Shunemer gam be'inin ha-hester. It's when we're talking about something of concealment. Doma ravi, which is similar in the Arabic, which is very interesting. If you're going to look, there's differences in the Arabic language in the times of the Rambam and Arabic today. Like many languages evolve, you know, like um, English. Like in English, um, what do we Shakespeare have? Shakespearean English. <laughs> Shakespearean English. Is well, yeah, but let's say, what, what's a more contemporary term lately? Um, okay. iPad. Right? There's no such word 20 years ago. How about the microwave 100 years ago? I'm just saying, or, or certain terms like cool. Cool. <laughs> now, cool used to mean something of a lower temperature. But then in the 70s, oh, that's like groovy. <laughs> it means it has a lot it has a lot of grooves, right? So language evolves. So in the time when the Rambam was discussing this, so it's interesting. So this Ibn Janach, he so in Arabic it is called Charmim Kanfas Alashi, which means in Yana, if in Arabic that means he's startif, that it, I've I've concealed. Okay? Uh, and then he's going to give us all kinds of words. Now, what's fascinating is, why did he pick Ibn Janach? Because the Targum of the Hebrew word Kanaf, which is the Hebrew word we understand, the Targum Aramaic is Janach, means a wing. So he picked his name because his name is the Arabic, Aramaic of Janach, of what uh, a Kanaf is. So it's like a little joke, you know, right. a rabbinic this was, joke. This that is a Rambam funny. joke? Is that yeah. you know, it's like, it's like oh, 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 just to know that it's, you know, it has some translation. So that's why he threw it in there. That's some suggest that, which is not a bad interpretation. So uh, so let's see some uh, examples of this. So we're going to have uh, number five, the source number five. Look at the Pusik there. That uh, was giving to my master bread and water under pressure. But and now there'll be no longer concealed. Morecha could mean your teacher. Others say rain. But uh, that idea means there will no longer be concealed. And your light will not be concealed. So if you look in source five, you see there's two pshatim. Rashi and lo yikanev. Rashi says lo yiskasemimcha will not be concealed. Just like biknaf begadov. Klomer lo yaster bimenafanov. Hashem will no longer conceal his face. Radak means it does it means to no longer gather or hold back. So that's a different interpretation. But Rashi sees like the Rambam, and there again you have that word is to conceal. Velo ya'ale, which is to conceal something. Zep perishna, and that's a good pshat. I like Janach's pshat. Rashi says that too. So fine. Umeze, and now he explains some other ones that are really interesting. Ludaiti, for example, it says, Velo yigale kenaf aviv. Okay, that is uh, source number six. How do you ever understand that? Don't take, right, your father, your father's uh, wife, 
and don't reveal the kanaf of your father. So how do you normally translate it? His the corner of his garment. But what does that mean? You can't reveal the corner of his garment. But rather, don't reveal the revealed, the hidden parts of your father. The parts that are hidden. That's what we say about Khan. That's your private parts. That's why it's called Kanaf Aviv. Don't reveal that which conceals your father. Now, what part of the body do you conceal if not the reproductive part? Lo Yigale Seser Aviv. It means don't reveal the part that's covered. And similarly, when uh, Naomi tells Ruth to go to Boaz, and to say, spread your kanaf, which is going to say what, the corner of your garment on your maidservant. What she's really saying is, spread over the concealed part of yourself, meaning to have intimacy, do the mitzvah of yibum. According to it means, the part, spread out the concealed part, which is your reproductive organ to your maidservant when the time is correct to the midst of Yibum. Okay? And now we're going to come to something that relates to the topic. So now we can understand who shall, it's been a metaphor, knaf lebori yisali, whenever we would mention the wing of Hashem, and for angels as well. Okay? Uh, where we do have a, a one verse uh, in about Hashem in source 8 and one for the Malachim in number 9. So he says, uh, he says, V'chein ba'malachim ke'amalachim e'na ba'alei gufos l'fi ha'shkafa because angels have no physicality according to the way I understand it. I will explain later on in the Sefer. V'nei Omro, we have that what did... Um, you came to be sheltered under the wings of Hashem. Oh, so what's this wings of Hashem? You come to um, uh, be sheltered under that which he conceals. And he will, as he will conceal many things. And that's the essence of Yiddishkeit, which is very concealed. Goyim don't really understand what Yiddishkeit is. Every time it talks about wings with angels, it's talking about concealment. Let's reflect. Now that's going to be the last pasuk, number nine. The srafim are on top of the other angels. It's right before Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Sheish Kenafayim, six wings. For each angel. Bishtaim with two wings, Yechas upon it, covers up his face. Ubishtaim Yechase Raglov, two cover up his feet. Ubishtaim Yechase with two it flies. So, what are the Kenafaim doing? What are the wings doing? So, let's see what he has to say. Now, Ram is going to say something a little bit different than the Maral. I don't know if we'll get to it today. But Ram is saying like this When he says Yechase Raglov, so he's putting on Bishtaim Yechase upon it, he only brings the first two. Two wings cover his face, two wings cover his feet. What did we say face meant before? What else? When we talked about Hashem, when we talked about Hashem, we said his essence. Remember, we says his essence. 
We said also it's in his presence. We mentioned in his presence, but the Rambam chose to say it's his essence. So therefore, when we're talking about that, so that's the same thing. He's saying, the cause of the angels. The cause of them is Nister and Elamot. It's very concealed. And that's his face. Right? In other words, what is the essence of the angel? Well, just like man is in the image of God, the angel has a certain image of Hashem too, but a different image, so to speak. So that source of the angel, the cause of the angel's reality is concealed. So the wing is concealing it. Its face, when you look in the face, you're looking at the essence of the angel, which is just paralleling to a degree what have had the essence of Hashem. And that part's concealed. You can't see that part. What about the things that the angels a cause of? Remember, what do we say about foot? Foot is the cause of something. Remember, we said it's the bottom, it's the cause of something. Like we explained before. So the cause, what the how the malachim are able to cause something is concealed from man. Okay? Because the actions of the super intellectuals are concealed from us. We don't know how they come about. But after a lot of long study, then we can begin to understand what's going on. There's two reasons why we can't understand angels either. Meet Saddam from their perspective, or meet Sidenum from our perspective. Clomer, our weak perceptions, the Koshi and how it is to understand a reality that is separated from a simple reality. A totally metaphysical reality is a very hard concept to understand. I only got four out of the six. With two that it flies? I have a separate chapter for that. What does it mean they fly? So that's in chapter 49. So just one more minute. Let's look at the last source. And that's the Moran of Uchim over there, just very quickly. As for the motion of flying, it occurs in the text in every passage. And it cannot be represented to oneself without a wing. Accordingly, it was supposed that the angels had wings in order that guidance be given concerning their state of existence, but not with a view to obtaining knowledge of the true reality of their essence. Know that everyone who accomplishes a very swift movement is described as flying, so as to indicate the swiftness of the movement. Like it says, as the eagle swoops down. <coughs> For the eagle is swifter in his flight and swoop than any other bird. For this reason, it's used as the parable. And also, that the two wings are the cause of flying. For this reason, the number of wings seen in the prophetic vision correspond to that of the cause of motion of a moving thing. However, this is not the subject of this chapter. In other words, so a malach does things swiftly. So now it comes out that there's three types of wings. So one type is to understand the cause of the malachim is concealed from us. How it causes things to happen is concealed from us. And their ability of swiftness, that's not concealing anything. Whatever they do on a metaphysical reality, they do it fast. 
So the wings is just a, a metaphor for swiftness. But there's no such thing as a malach with wings. It's just everything he does is under concealment. And therefore, if we're going to mention anything with Hashem as well, mm-hmm. you're sheltering under, you're sheltering under Hashem's concealment. Right? And and therefore, it comes out some very interesting things. So let's say when the Jews are spread across the four corners of the earth, what do we mean? And therefore, they're concealed. When Jews go into into Golis, we are concealed. Okay? And that's the whole point, to keep us concealed. And that keeps the Jews going on in Golis. And we know that there's no such thing as a bracha unless it's concealed from the eyes. So therefore, we are concealed. So now, so what is the uh, connection over here? Well, you see, it's beginning to talk about revealing and concealing the the flow of life, the flow of Hashem. Hashem has a flow of chachma that comes from Hashem to man, and sometimes it's revealed and sometimes it's concealed. So this is just a continuation of everything we've discussed. We're talking about there's a certain aspect of concealment of God's knowledge. And guess what will be the next chapter, or soon will be I and an I, which is obviously going to be revealed. So you said it all fits in. The only thing we didn't get to, and we'll talk about next week, is the morale gives a little bit of a subtler, different translation. If we remember, we'll do that. Okay, yesterday, question, I didn't forget. So when the angels visit Abraham, they get temporary physicality? Okay, that's got to, we got to wait for later on. That's when Ram is going to talk about okay. what that is. Okay. And you'll see that Ram says it was a dream. Oh. Okay, so we'll see, we'll see.